0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 588 with a review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I'm Christopher Shazey.
1: And I'm Stephen Miller.
0: And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week on the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. This week, it is finally here. Stephen saw this last year at Cannes.
1: Yeah, like 10 months ago at this point.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and we've been waiting for it to come out here in San Francisco. And it finally came out this week, even though our local Alamo Drafthouse, Drink Carson, um, did not friggin' open this film this week. Um, but yeah, if, if you listened to our review of Birds of Prey, and you listened all the way to the end, you heard us whisper about how our next review would be of... Portrait of a Lady on Fire.
1: Truly the birds of prey of this Oscar season. <laughs> <laughs> um,
0: but yeah, this is a film that the critics have definitely loved. Um, and I've been talking about it for a while. And I think that myself, and I mean, Stephen had already seen it, but of course he was excited to see it again. And uh, I think a lot of people that are sort of following the film industry were probably pretty excited to see um, Portrait of a Lady on Fire this weekend. And it is finally here. So we are going to bring you that review. We're also going to have a re- review of The Assistant, Um, which uh, Stephen had heard some interesting conversations about, maybe. Um, But basically, on uh, Friday, Stephen texted me and was like, hey, by the way, I'm also going to try to see The Assistant this weekend. So I was like, sure, I'm game. I'll go see it, and we'll be able to uh, put out a review after this one. Um, But yeah, we are not going to take too much more time. We are going to just jump right into this review. We're going to take a listen to the trailer for Portrait of a Lady on Fire, and then we're going to come back and give you guys a review. intéressé par ma fille Émilane. Nous partons là-bas si le portrait lui plaît. L'a épuisé déjà un peintre avant vous. Qu'est-ce qui passé Je ne sais pas. Elle vous attend. Ça fait des années que je rêve de faire ça. Mourir
1: Courir. Vous allez devoir la peindre sans que les saches. Elle pense que vous êtes une
0: compagne de promenade pour quelques jours. Que savez-vous de mon futur mariage Rien. C'est tout ce que j'en sais aussi. Quand allez-vous vous vous marier Je ne sais pas si je vais me marier. C'est parce que vous pouvez choisir que vous ne me comprenez pas. Je vous comprends. Quand vous êtes
1: embarrassé, vous mordez vos lèvres. Vraiment. Quand vous êtes troublé, vous respirez par la bouche. Combien de temps restez-vous?
0: All right, so that was the trailer for Portrait of a Lady on Vire. Basically, uh, this film takes place in a time that was before swiping left or right. Mm. And uh, basically, if you wanted to find yourself a wife... uh, You you, had to swipe down. You you would uh, hire somebody to paint a portrait of a woman that you may uh, want to be betrothed to, and then they'd send you that photo, and you would look at it and decide, uh, hey, I think I'm going to marry this woman. And uh, this story follows a painter who was sent to... Is it an island? She definitely hops on a boat.
1: Uh, Yeah, I believe it's an island off the coast of France.
0: Okay, so it's an island off the coast of France. Uh, She is sent there to meet this woman and paint a portrait of her. However, the catch is that uh, this woman doesn't like being portraited, and uh, she has to, in secret, paint a portrait of her. And that's sort of the experience she has on this island meeting this woman. Um, Stephen Miller, you, obviously you you are a fan of this film. Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, saw this a while back, but you're reseeing it now. Would you like to tell us a little bit about why you are fond of this film? Uh,
1: so I felt similarly to this, how I did with Parasite when it was going wide, where I... I felt very strongly, but I also didn't know how it would play when a trailer reveals what the film will be about. Um, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that this is a romance. I feel like that is how this film is being marketed to the general audience, and it came out on Valentine's Day for a reason. Um, Oh, yeah. But because when I, they didn't want
0: to fucking release it yeah, sooner than that.
1: <laughs> uh, of course. But when I watched this movie at Cannes, I knew nothing except for this is called... I didn't even know Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I knew the French name, which meant... I did whatever. I knew it had Lady in the title, right? <laughs> Otherwise, I, I was just watching a period piece and watching it unfold over time, like as the filmmaker uh, uh, wanted it to happen. And there, there was something about this movie, at the time I was watching it, that it, it had this sort of crescendo of romance to it that i didn't expect like it builds and builds and kind of snowballs over time and i was a little reluctant when i would recommend it throughout the year because i knew this worked on me very well but i have no idea how it will play in a market where people are expecting a french call me by your name right like a a a um a queer a romance period piece set in France. Because it, they're just different from being surprised by a movie where partway through you learn it is a love story where before that you didn't really know what you were going to get. You yeah, know, it's, know. it's kind of very different framing. Um, you're, you're
0: working from the surprise of where it's going versus the I am waiting for this to catch on to this love story.
1: Exactly, yeah. And what really surprised me is... My memory of this film is so much more overtly like sensual and erotic than the movie actually is. In my memory, this is like up there with blue is the warmest color, and like very sexual, very romantic, like long, long, long scenes of two people falling in love. That was my memory of this movie. In reality, the love, the actual romance on screen, doesn't happen till like two thirds of the way through the film, yeah. and it only gets. A couple scenes. There's actually very little that is overtly sexual in this movie. Yeah. Um, and yet, in my memory, it was huge. It was kind of like... It eclipsed everything else. It was such a romantic, sensual film about falling in love. And I think I realized, watching it a second time, that what this movie really is about is about the memory of love. It's about the the feeling that you have... Which is w- the song from call me by your name no no it, it <laughs> is a lot like calling me by your name in that it, it it's about the feeling you have when love has passed when this ephemeral thing has happened how will you choose to remember it and i think what i really appreciated in this movie is how much that first half that first two thirds is doing to set the groundwork not for so in a typical romance the first half would be foreplay right it's like building yeah. you up for this inevitable release of tension that you're going to get and it's trying to like set all the gears in motion so when it happens you feel like overwhelmed by the the need for this to happen i would say call me about your name is kind of like that where it sets up all the pieces and then you know they are going to come together and when it finally happens it's going to feel like a rush of endorphin because we've been seeing them interact awkwardly for a while so we know what it's going to feel when they finally come together this movie is so much about memory like there, there's a big conversation in the middle of the movie about uh, the myth of Orpheus and Eurydice um, of the, the couple that basically has to go through Hades and Orpheus is told just don't look back if, it, it's very much like the biblical story of Lot and his wife right yeah, yeah. like if you look back she'll be turned into a pillar of salt so don't look back and the big question is why do they look back why do they do this even though they were given a simple instruction if they did it it would work and in this movie, there's a conversation in the middle of the film where every character has a kind of different opinion about it, where one says, this is just, he was so in love, he couldn't help but look back. And then the other says, maybe he made the poet's choice. Maybe he chose to look back because he would prefer the the memory of the thing to the reality of the thing itself. And then the third character says, maybe she told him to look back. Like maybe she would rather be remembered than live in this world where she'll become forgotten again. And I think... So much of this movie i it, it's building up this idea of how big love will be in your memory in hindsight that it pulls off for me a kind of magic trick where it like the mo the the love story in the text of the movie is there, but it is not that huge, but in my memory it is enormous like it was huge and i I think it has something to do with the way the movie is framing your your view on love and your view of the the unattainable like the thing that you had for a few days and then you knew you had to leave, um, which is a very long winded way of saying <laughs> that i I love this movie on second viewing <laughs>
0: um, I, I i can I can see how actually the journey the second time allows you to get more enriched experience through it because. You the first time you watched it, you had no idea what you were watching in general, and you watched the slow progression of two people sort of becoming fond of each other, and then working towards building a memory that may last them a while. Um, And the second time, you really got a chance to dive into the dialogue itself in the in between scenes, like that that whole Orpheus stuff. Like that is something that did not even register to me. A, because I don't really have the historical knowledge of the Orpheus story and B, because like it's a random scene in the middle of a film that is doing a lot of different things. Right. Um, So it is interesting to see like that, like for me to be able to relive this film through your eyes, having seen it a second time is is kind of an interesting uh, juxtaposition through the experience of myself, A, knowing ahead of time the story I will be watching and B, Watching it for the first time versus the second yeah. time.
1: So we'll remind me. We'll talk about the ghost scenes in this movie after yeah. you say how you feel because it ties in a lot to the Orpheus, Orpheus story too. Okay. Um, but what, what's interesting is my memory because we talked about this film a couple times when I saw it again. I called in that night, I think, and I mentioned it. You kind had of just in passing. gotten out of it, right? Yeah. I you... said, "Oh shit, I forgot." Portrait of Lady on Fire. I think I love this movie. I don't know what to say about it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, My memory of this movie was all romance and no detail at all. And it was was just interesting to revisit it and realize how much this film is doing that is not explicitly romantic. Um, Yeah, I love... I I think the actresses are both great in this film. They do a good job of showing... There are two different characters in a period piece where one is the independent woman who has the ability to choose a life for herself but has also not been able to see much of the world. And then the character who is kind of the 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 stereotypical kind of character in the nunnery right the one who is like guarded away from the world and hasn't gotten to this experience is the, the anything
0: young yet. assistant sort of uh girl not yeah, no yeah. relation to the film that we're going to be talking about yeah, but yeah, like no
1: no, no relationship but, <clears throat> but you have her and then you have the daughter the kind of cloistered yeah wealthy woman who has not all, all of them much like call me by your name like they don't know anything that quote matters yet you know they haven't really gotten to experience these things and I, I just love the way this movie, it takes its time. It is definitely a movie that rewards patience. It is not a movie that will move from scene to scene with any kind of urgency. It's trying to paint a picture of what life would be like for these yeah. people and then show you what wanting looks like. And I think what what is really lovely about this movie is the way it it frames it in terms of painting, where it's about observing people, observing the little details, like how one hand will clutch the other hand or about how a person will move their cheek a little bit when they laugh or like getting little glimpses of what a person is and falling in love with that, with the memory of what, what adds up to the, some whole of a person, um, I thought on second viewing especially, it was really nice to just watch that for what it was. Knowing where it was going, I knew it was going to build up to a crescendo of an ending that I love. Like, I I knew the last five minutes of this movie are going to get me no matter what. Yeah. So I could just kind of enjoy the details for what they were without caring what they were building towards. And yeah, I just think it's a a really lovely movie about memory and about about how your the nostalgia you have for your first love or the forbidden love or the one that couldn't work can grow so big in your mind that it can outweigh everything else. And it can kind of like propel the rest of one's life when they think about it. Yeah, And I, I just think this is a wonderfully romantic movie that, yeah, it, it worked on me wonderfully a second time and we'll talk about ghosts, and we'll talk about the song, (laughs) and a couple other things after I hear your thoughts. Do we
0: want to have an explicit spoiler section, or do you think you can talk... I don't think we need to. I think we can talk around it. Um, So, yeah. So, um, I guess the best way to talk about this film, from my standpoint, is to... um, First, I want to just rip the band-aid off and say not all of this film worked for me the way it did, sort of, as a whole for you. Mm -hmm. Um, That's not to say that I disliked the entire thing, but... It was a little bit hard for me to grasp everything that this film was doing. But what I do want to do is praise some very beautiful and magical things in this film. I think that there's a lot of... St- First of all, I'm not super familiar with French French filmmaking, so I, I don't have a lot of stuff to compare it to. So I don't know how much of this is like typical French filmmaking and how much of it is just this film doing this thing. But I think that, that for myself, um, the... Maybe maybe the thesis of the film and where it goes to at the end, like those fi- those last five minutes that you're talking about, just blew me away. I, I I love the 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 end of this film. This film nails a landing. It
1: sticks the landing. Yeah, real it well. sticks
0: the landing amazingly. While it was in the air, I was like, "There's no way they're going to land this. This is Jesus Christ. She's yeah. going to get real hurt." <laughs> like not nothing about the story, but I mean, like I'm I'm taking the, the metaphor full bore and thinking of a gymnast tumbling through the air, yep. hoping she's going to land when I know. She she hurt her leg on that last vault. Um, I gotcha. Shout out to the Olympics like 20 years ago or whatever it was. Um, but anyways, the point being, um, like, the entire journey didn't completely work for me. Um, but I think sort of the lead into this film and the crescendo and the end of this film are very, very beautiful. And... Maybe some ghost things really, really worked for me <laughs> in, in, in this film. Um, and we're talking about ghost imagery, not literal ghosts. Yeah. So it's not, we're not spoiling anything. This isn't like a suddenly a horror film or anything like that. Um, this isn't Personal Shopper. Yeah, this is not Personal Shopper. Um, but like Personal Shopper, I might like it even more on, upon second viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say that one of the things that I found most interesting about this film is, based on, based on the simple premise of the film, which is one woman... Is coming here to meet this character um, is supposed to paint her without being able to have her pose and paint for, her, which means somebody is intently studying another person. And in any sort of, you know, meet cute or relationship beginnings, two people meeting where there's some sort of chemistry there, there there are subtle things that you pick up about a person noticing you or a person interacting with you that you can either interpret as one thing or another. And I think that in this film, you have a character who by her job needs to intently study the physicality and the look and the presence of another being. And that person in receiving those looks and glances, like this sort of this dance of these two people noticing each other, noticing each other, Mm-hmm. but for different reasons and how that plays and sort of how how the experience of these two interacting with each other could lead to more than was maybe potentially intentioned at the beginning of their encounter. Um, that, I thought, was... Was a very interesting concept. And like, as that was happening, watching it through the artist's eyes and seeing a person commit to memory the subtle curves of somebody's, you know, neck or chin or whatever, like, I I really, really thought that was an interesting concept. Mm -hmm. And I think that over time, that sort of gets abandoned and it sort of becomes a fleeting sort of idea. And it sort of, I was kind of all wrapped up in this idea of like, oh, wow, that's very interesting to see this sort of like, subtle play that these two people have, but they don't really know why the other person is paying attention to that person. Like, there's something about that that I really thought was an interesting concept and an idea. Yeah. Um, and then when that went away, I sort of was like, oh, okay, fine. Well, well now we'll just go into this as we're, we're going now. Um, and then if I can scoot towards more towards the end, there are things that happen in that story that just, I I think, like, okay, so... I I am, I'm not foreign to the idea of a very truncated time spending with a person having that leave a lasting impression on you.
1: Right. We all saw duck butter.
0: (laughs) No, no. But I I, mean, like, I, it's not like I, it's not like I don't believe that the short amount of time these people could have with each other could form this lasting thing that sort of lives on after their encounter with each other. But I think that this story is... I, I feel like the story we are watching is from the point of the painter, but the reality of the existence of those two characters, it is sort of the the uh, the the portrait. I don't know what's 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 the word for the person being painted. Um, the person being painted sort of is leading the life that would require her to long more for the thing that we are watching the film about. Mm -hmm. Um, If I can compare it to a film which we didn't like that much that we saw at Tribeca a few years ago, Disobedience, right? Mm. So in that film, it is a story of forbidden love and a person who exists in a culture for which she has to deny her actual self and has to pretend she doesn't have these feelings that she has. And while we didn't think that was a particularly well-made film it is doing a very specific thing, which is circumstances require somebody to ignore who it is that they are. And I think that in this film, one of the characters is betrothed and has to marry if, unless some magical thing intervenes. But the character that the story is being told from the point of view could have gone on and loved again if she so chose to. Right. So I, I think that while the story does have a beautiful coda to it, I think that, like the reality of this, like it's. I feel that the the only way that a love like this persists throughout time is if it's not replaced by another love, Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that the character who we're seeing this film through the eyes of is the one who has the option to love again. So, because we're having told, because it's being told of this of this, like, lost love, I, I feel like it's the wrong person telling the story. I don't, I don't know. There is something that didn't jive with me completely. Yeah. Because she is the character who is not stuck in the position where she couldn't love again, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: No, no, I buy that. And I think that is that is true. So the, the character names, I think, are Marianne and Eloise, where Eloise is the woman who is to be married, and Marianne is the portrait artist who is there to paint her. And I, I think I agree with you that for Marianne, it is not clear that this was the one love the only love i think the film pushes you toward that a little bit but i do think the movie is more about eloise and how it would feel for her and i think even the feelings in the final scene have to do with projecting onto eloise like what that would feel like yeah yeah. But but i think i do agree with you that this person is teed up to kind of live a life that she wants to live and potentially experience more in her life that has would dwarf because I kind of am in the same boat with this and with Romeo and Juliet and with standard stories. When I'm like, well, okay, you spent a week together, how <laughs> Titanic, how great could it be? Like, yeah, yeah. Come on. what what is the thing that cannot be replaced? Like, I, I get that with love stories also. I like my pragmatist self, uh, comes into play and kind of feels like it is maybe outweighing it. And that's why watching this movie a second time, the way it emphasizes memory and the choice of leaving someone and the weight that that will carry um there's a so there's a famous poem called ode on a grecian urn that is all kind of about a picture of two people looking at each other who are about to kiss but have not kissed yet and the ode is kind of about how that is the best moment in life is before the thing happens the moment of anticipation for this great thing that will happen yeah. how that's going to outweigh everything else because <laughs> how lucky are they right like they get is to that, be is
0: that the poem, poem about whether or not you ask out the girl who is your friend that you've been friends with for a long yes
1: ode on a friend zone <laughs> <laughs> um but but the, but the idea behind that that uh poem i think it's by keats uh is that like you know the best moment in any kind of romance is that moment of anticipation before you know the outcome yeah, yeah. and how the memory of that if you could just freeze time there and live there forever that would be the most romantic experience in the world yeah, yeah. and i think this movie is living on that level where it is saying that the the fact that this love could not be and the memory of it as this unattainable thing that you are walking away from and choosing to get one glimpse of before leaving. I think that is the thrust of it. And it it is true. I think the literal details of the romance kind of fade compared to that in in this movie.
0: So this film is divided into two chunks. I'll say one is I'll call this film. I'll call the two chunks rough draft and finished product. <laughs> mm. Right? There's two point par- parts of this film. Um if if the characters were able to skip directly to finished product, would there even be a romance? Cuz I cuz I feel like the this film there there's a there is a sort of re- artistic rejection that happens partway through this film mm-hmm. which triggers the actual romance to begin kindling itself right. um until kindling, the lady is on fire good Firework.
1: <laughs>
0: thank you um but I, but i feel like i, I think part of yeah I, I feel yeah i i mean i think that's why i struggle with the interesting concept of the first part of the film where it is not two people immediately drawn to each other it's one person intently studying another And then the other person slowly warming up to the the person A. And and I think that because of that interesting concept, I forego the lack of chemistry at the beginning of this film. And then later on in the film, there's, I mean, obviously there's chemistry. These two have great chemistry together. But the context for which we are viewing them is one of them sitting there quietly staring at the other one while the other one purposely doesn't talk to them. (laughs) which is, I guess that's playing hard to get in whatever year this film is supposed to be set in. Yeah. but it, it sort of it sort of lacks that sort of interaction that makes you feel like, damn, these two should be together because I want to ship them or whatever, right? It, it, it feels it feels more like two distinct um, disjointed parts where it requires the mother to sail off for five days in order for them to sort of build towards this romance, mm-hmm. which I, I think sort of, pulled me out of the story a little bit. Mm.
1: Yeah, I, I, I can see that. So it is worth saying that Adele Hanel, who plays the uh, the daughter who is to be wed in this movie, uh, is the actual partner of the director, Celine Sciamma. Okay. So I think some of that, um, the chemistry is actually brought to bear because the director is actually in a relationship with this woman. So it's, yeah. a, very, it's a very kind of like personal way that the camera looks at this person. Yeah, um, Yeah. So so I can see that. And I do think... Again, I mentioned the the romance in a literal sense takes up much less weight of this movie than my memory of it was, and I think it's because a kind of like call me by your name, I think this movie and Carol for that matter I don't know why like queer period piece love stories in particular seem to do this where it it is less about the two people to me than it is about the what love represents for them, like what it's rejecting or what it's rebelling against, because they can be in love. Yeah, and, and in this case, the movie very clearly brings it home. Like we talked a little bit before about there, there is a section of this movie that is about a completely separate subject that has nothing to do with romance, yeah. but does have to do with
0: the byproduct of romance.
1: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and women in this time in history and what they would have to do to assert their decision of who they want to be in the world and who they don't want to be, right? Um And I think it, it's really hard, kind of like in, in Little Women, there's a moment when Joe talks about stories that get written. And is it that you write about a thing because you know people want to read it, or do people want to read it because you've primed them by what you choose to write about? And like, if you chose to focus on other events or other things in the world, would you change the tide of what audiences relate to, what they empathize with? Yeah. And I think a lot of this movie is about the restlessness that these women feel in this time of their life of like, how can I have agency? How can I come into come into my own self and like assert what I want and what I don't want? And I think the the romance and the other event that we won't spoil both kind of fall into that of things of people choosing this is who i am and what i want in the world and this is my like tiny act of rebellion where i get to decide who i who i get to be in this world that is determined by other people yeah um, otherwise so i think like there's the romance but then there's all the other things that the romance means to them and i think the things that it means kind of start to outshadow the details right yeah. so the the Romeo and Juliet effect of, like, they were only together for a week, and do I really buy that in the three days they're explicitly romantic, X, Y, and Z happen? I, I don't know. But the the memory to the artist of, like, what that kind of love meant for them, that is what I believe. And I think that's what page 28 and the, the music at the end, I think those all build to that really wonderfully, even if yeah. the the details are kind of more... Mm, fictionalized or whatever than than a very realistic movie would have been.
0: There's also... um, There's a few subjects that we haven't talked about, and there's one more subject, which I'll still continue to ambiguously state, um, that uh, this film sort of deals with but doesn't really dive in deep enough and sort of characters make decisions which sort of counter what I would believe a character who has this understanding would do. Sorry, I'm speaking incredibly uh, ambiguously, but um, you referenced... um, Reverence Little Women and uh the context of this film are the the the, the character being portraited. Um she wouldn't be the Joe character, she would be the Florence Pugh character. Right. Um uh and the what we know about what happened to the Joe character, um sort of is like this other thing that hangs over this film and talks mm-hmm. about um uh, your ability to control your fate in the situation. And there's – there's once again, this is like another thing that this film dives into and presents this idea of the character we are watching is put in here because of actions another character did and is now uh, stuck in a life that is out of her control because of an action that somebody else took to take control of their life. Right. And, and there, there, there's it, – it's like this film plays with so many interesting ideas – and each one of these interesting ideas makes me sit forward in my chair and go, mm, mm, "Let's see what you're going to do with this." And then we spend time dealing with that other subject matter that we're not talking about. Mm. And 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 it, I found it, I found it hard to find one cohesive narrative in this film, and instead a bunch of interesting ideas that, while very intriguing, are sort of too far apart to really um make me understand the true thesis of this film as opposed to a bunch of interesting concepts that are being brought up.
1: Right. So can we talk about the ghost moments yeah. in this movie? So it took me a while even though I had seen it before to realize what those are looking at. Yeah. Uh, d- did did that make sense to you by the end of the movie?
0: It um the the imagery was enough for me to sort of think that I understood what it was doing. I, if I had to reverse engineer those scenes, I don't know why I would place them in those exact moments. Mm. So there's still a disconnect between what I understand and think the, the director was doing, but I, I get the concept of it. Um, but I, I was more just shocked by like the beauty of those shots. Yeah. Like the it, it's, it's an like a, a breathtaking sort of presentation, especially given the color palette of this film, right? Um, which is like very, very just dingy, like dingy, dark, and sort yeah, of like this
1: is maybe the only like bright white in the whole movie. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. This part
0: and it and it's really like a very it's it's moments of 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 just sort of like out of nowhere, boom! There you have this this shining imagery, and it's it's very impressive, and it makes you kind of sit back and go like, wow. And then you kind of go, huh? You're okay, where are we going now? Yeah. <laughs> and especially there, there's one moment where it happens where somebody's standing on the other side of a doorwell. And like those sort of like so close together things make me kind of shake right. my head and wonder.
1: Well, well, there's also a a a of history involving a sister that kind of I think could yeah. make you believe that you're looking at something very different than gotcha, what you're yeah, looking yeah. at. That's, um, that's the thing I was
0: sort of offhandedly yeah. referencing before. Yeah, I gotcha. But yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because
1: um, that to me, those, especially watching it a second time, it builds so much the feeling of this being about a kind of preemptive memory you know and, yeah. you, and, and the the realization that this movie is being told or being remembered in the future by like yeah. present day version of Marianne right so you're yeah. saying
0: there's like the painter was visited by aliens who speak through ink <laughs> <laughs> sure <laughs> sorry that was a really stupid joke for anybody who's seen Arrival
1: yeah, yeah this is the Arrival <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but, but but there's this sense of, like, even in the middle of, like, a romance that is about to bloom, yeah. you're being haunted by the eventuality of it instead, yeah, yeah. of the memory of it becomes, like... A thing that is haunting you during... And I, I wait, thought there was wait, just wait, something really interesting there. Which is
0: also an interesting subject. If you can completely abstract away from this film, right? You have, like, the marshmallow problem, right? Like, do you, do you want to eat your marshmallow now or do you want to wait an hour and then have two marshmallows? But what if you wait an hour and there's no marshmallows, right? It's mm. like, does is this a subconscious projection of, like, eventually I will not be able to have this thing that maybe in this moment I don't fully want? right? But the fleetingness of it and this sort of imagery of it being out of my grasp makes me need that more. Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah.
1: Yeah, and and this is also where it does really tie back to the Greek tragedy that they talk about because the whole story of the tragedy is that uh, Orpheus— cannot look back, right? He's like, lot, or whatever. He's being told not to do this. And then they're theorizing, why does this happen? And eventually, one of the characters says, maybe she told him to turn around. Maybe she told him to look back. And the last moment that these two characters share in the film is turn around. And that image is what we're seeing burned in through the rest of the movie, right? Of that choice, be like, this is me now, and I'm going to vanish. I I think there's something... I still don't even know what it means, but there's something very... Interesting about that thought that I think kind of it it percolates in my brain after yeah. I watch this movie of well, what is this saying about agency and about what you're choosing versus what you what is forced upon you and and even even
0: outside of agency, these two exist in a vacuum for five days where there is no outside influence there's just them being able to enjoy their time together, and time passes as they want to perceive it they can draw it out as much as they want they can go to sleep early and time travel to another day like and and this uh this sort of apparition of the reality of time is about to be ending is sort of like it's it's a manifestation of a ticking clock that is like oh this isn't just forever in this moment this is about to abruptly come to an end and it's something we're going to have to reckon with, but we are only talking about our eventuality as this concept, as opposed to something that we actually have control over. So
1: Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, two, two last things I would say about the movie. One is that I love the scene where the painter is revealing to Eloise the things she knows about her from observing her, like what she does when she's nervous, what she does when she doesn't know what to say and then Eloise turns it and says what she reveals about her i think yeah. that that really brings the idea of love being about truly seeing the other person and like if you could fully take in what the other person is you would almost inevitably fall in love with them like yeah. I, I think that's a really beautiful idea and the scene plays it really well and then the the final moment in this movie i i don't want to spoil it except like call me by your name Someone goes through a whole range of emotions at one time without any words happening. Yeah. And I think that's just a, a winning formula. <laughs>
0: yeah. And, it, and, it, and it's, it's a performance like at the end of Good Time, where it's a single person having to do a shit ton of work yep. that is completely, there's nothing written. It's just pure performance yeah. that only works because your journey up until Yeah, that they, they're
1: doing the exhale for the movie that you watched yeah. afterwards.
0: Cool. Um, well, I think that probably brings us to our verdicts for the film. Stephen Miller, uh, I think I know where we're going with this, but if you're going to do this a must-see, a record of the caveat, wait for it until pass passes the caveat, or must-avoid, what would you give it?
1: Uh, this is definitely a must-see for me. I had joked multiple times about this being the kind of classic artsy-fartsy movie, the Rochelle Rochelle of Seinfeld fame <laughs> that critics loved because it was a sexual awakening of a young woman, blah, 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 but... Watching this movie a second time, like it, it holds up phenomenally well. I think it it just is so romantic without ever being exploitative or gratuitous or it, it isn't doing the things that your typical like this is my lesbian romance film would do. It, it it isn't being it isn't relying heavily on anything. There isn't like heavy nudity, it is nowhere near as overtly erotic as I remember it. It is so much about the feeling of falling in love and the feeling of wanting. And I think the director just does so much with that while showing so little that it's just a really, to me, incredible movie about the feeling of the preemptive nostalgia that you feel when you are falling in love and you know that it won't last. And yeah. I, I just think that's a, a really beautiful thing.
0: Um, if I will say this. If you are going to see this film in theaters, pick an old theater that only old people go to. Because there is a scene involving a mirror That young people, what young people just will not be able to handle. Luckily, my theater, there was a little bit of teehee in the theater that I saw it in. But definitely, it it rang as strange to some folk. um, And uh, they were unable to contain their uh, their teehees.
1: Definitely the most actual erotic part of the movie, I think.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, take that. Rose and Jack yeah <laughs> um, but anyway so so for my for my review um, it's I, I think if I'm honest with myself I, I there's a lot of good ideas in this film and a lot of interesting things but as I said at the beginning before I tried to like talk about all the things that were really, really positive not everything worked in this film for me so for I'm going to have to lower it down to a wait for rental mm-hmm. Um That's not, I don't want to take anything directly away from this film. I appreciate some of the really brilliant moments in this. I think the ending is amazing. I think there's really interesting ideas at the beginning. Um, There's a lot of stuff in the middle that I'm sort of like, outside of like, I get that things were happening during this time and it was tough. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It it doesn't work as a cohesive narrative to me. So for me, I didn't walk out of it really being gripped. But there are moments that still stick with me now as we're talking about it. So it's, it's like a wait for rental with a caveat.
1: Yep. <laughs> I feel ya. Uh,
0: but yeah, that is our review of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Stephen Miller, if people want to find you throughout the week, where can they do that?
1: People can find me at twitter.com slash miller or s sdavidmiller.com.
0: People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. You can find the podcast over at thespoilerwarning.com where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. If you want to subscribe to the show, you can do so on Overcast, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever podcasts are found. If you want to know the episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash facebook.com slash or instagram.com slash warning. If you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at thespoilerwarning.com, or you can use the contact form on our site. Music for this episode will come from the soundtrack to Portrait of a Lady on Fire, so hopefully it's all those women around the fire singing, because yeah. that scene was fucking
1: amazing. Oh, yeah,
0: And we haven't talked about it yet. But- that in
1: 1917. Are just the two acapella music <laughs> scenes of the year. I think
0: it was pretty amazing. Like for a second, I was like, "Did the soundtrack to Dunkirk just start playing?" What's because <laughs> it was doing like the the rays forever thing, yep. and then the <laughs> started happening, and I was like, "Fuck, this is amazing! I love this movie." Yep. Um, but anyways, that hopefully is playing right now. I haven't checked the soundtrack yet, but yes, this is our review A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Hopefully, you enjoyed that, and then we are gonna go take off. And by take off, I mean stop this track and then start recording a second one so we can talk about a little film called The Assistant.
1: Bye. Bye.